0: Good evening. The Department of Justice opens an investigation into the Louisville, Kentucky police. The census results are in. New York loses a seat. The South gains. India suffers under the weight of the pandemic. And were the Oscars equitable? With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Monday, April 26, 2021. A black man killed by deputies in North Carolina was shot in the back of the head and had his hands on his car steering wheel when they opened fire. That's what attorneys for the family said Monday after relatives viewed body camera footage. The account was the first description of the shooting of Andrew Brown Jr., who was killed by deputies serving drug-related search and arrest warrants. When asked whether Brown was shot in the back, attorney Harry Daniels said yes back of the head. My dad got executed just by trying to save his own life, said Brown's adult son, Khalil Fairby, who watched the video. Brown's death last Wednesday led to nightly protests and demands for justice in the town of Elizabeth City. Authorities have released few details, and the video has not been made public. And the Supreme Court agreed on Monday to hear an appeal to expand gun rights in the United States in a New York case over the right to carry a firearm in public for self-defense. The case marks the court's first foray into gun rights since Justice Amy Coney Barrett came on board in October, making a 6-3 conservative majority. The justices say Monday – Uh, The justices said Monday that they'll review a lower court ruling upholding New York's restrictive gun permit law. New York is among eight states that limit who has the right to carry a weapon in public. In the rest of the country, gun owners have little trouble legally carrying their weapons when they go out. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo says the gun laws have made New York the safest big state in the country, and the NRA-backed case is a massive threat to that security. And the Justice Department is opening a sweeping probe into policing in Louisville, Kentucky, over the March 2020 death of Breonna Taylor, who was shot to death by police during a raid at her home. Attorney General Merrick Garland made the announcement today. It's the second such probe into a law enforcement agency by the Biden administration in a week. Garland also announced an investigation into the tactics of the police in Minneapolis following the death of George Floyd. Attorney General Merrick Garland
1: the Justice Department is opening a a civil investigation into the Louisville-Jefferson County Metro government and the Louisville Metro Police Department to determine whether LMPD engages in a pattern or practice of violations of the Constitution or federal law. Today's announcement is based on an extensive review of publicly available information about LMPD conducted by the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division. The investigation will assess whether LMPD engages in a pattern or practice of using unreasonable force, including with respect to people involved in peaceful, expressive activities. It will determine whether LMPD engages in unconstitutional stops, searches and seizures, as well as whether the department unlawfully executes search warrants on private homes. It will also assess whether LMPD engages in discriminatory conduct on the basis of race or fails to provide public services that comply with the Americans with Disability Act. Promoting public trust between communities and law enforcement is essential to making both communities and policing safer
0: and that is merrick garland the attorney general of the united states the 26 year old taylor an emergency medical technician who had been studying to become a nurse was roused from sleep by police who came through the door using a battering ram her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, fired once. A no-knock warrant was approved as part of a narcotics investigation. No drugs were found at her home. Louisville Mayor Greg Fisher says the Justice Department's investigation would be another step in reforming the department after an audit recently by a private firm found low morale and a lack of diversity in leadership in the department. Kentucky's lawmakers have passed a partial ban on no-knock warrants last month. America's population growth has declined to its slowest rate since the Great Depression,
2: that's according to the Census Bureau. The 20 census took a snapshot of all people living in the United States on April 1st, 2020, and the results are in. According to the 2020 census, the number of people living in the United States was 331,449,281. This represents an increase of 7.4% over the official population count from the 2010 census. This population growth rate is lower than the previous growth rate of 9.7% between the 2000 and 2010 censuses. In fact, the growth rate from from 2010 to 2020 is the second slowest in US history. The country's 7.4% increase in population this decade was only slightly more than the 7.3 increase between 1930 and 1940. For the regions, the South grew the fastest over the last decade, with a 10.2% increase in population, followed by the West with 9.2%, the Northeast with 4.1%, and the Midwest with 3.1%. For the first time in 100, um, pardon me, the Bureau
0: also reports on the apportionment of members of the House of Representatives. The results are... While the nation's political center of gravity keeps shifting further to the Republican-led South and West, Texas, Florida, and other Sunbelt states are gaining congressional seats as chillier climates
2: like New York and Ohio lose them. Six states will gain seats in the House of Representatives. Texas will gain two seats, and Colorado, Florida, Montana, North Carolina, and Oregon will each gain one seat. Seven states will each lose one seat in the House, California, Illinois, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. The number of seats for the remaining 37 states will not change. The states that will have the most representatives in Congress are California with 52 seats, Texas with 38 seats, Florida with 28 seats, and New York with 26 seats. These four states are the most populous in the U.S., with each having more than 20 million people. And together, those states will hold about a third of the total seats in the House of Representatives.
0: And for the first time in 170 years of statehood, California is losing a congressional seat, a result of slowed migration to the nation's most populous state, which was once a symbol of the frontier. New York, which made an intensive intensified effort to count as many of its residents as possible, lost one seat in the House and now has 26 instead of 27. But the decision was close. The state fell only 89 residents short of retaining all of its House seats.
3: I can just confirm that the number, when you calculate it, is 89. Um, however, um, it's not unusual. I mean, it, it's part of the standard of the method of equal proportions is that it all depends on the overall proportion of all the states within the nation. And so, uh, for example, it's not unusual for there to be a small uh, margin like that.
0: Despite the news, Mayor de Blasio was upbeat today. He says the Trump administration would have done more damage if it weren't for New York census workers.
4: I'm very hopeful it will not come from New York City because we really threw in the kitchen sink to have a strong census performance and to actually represent uh, the truth of how many people are here. And, it, you know, I really want to tip my cap to everyone who's involved in the census effort in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, they managed to reach the same response rate in 2020 that happened 10 years earlier in 2010. I mean, that's really extraordinary. So, hopefully, since that happened, New York City will be judged more accurately. And if there is to be a loss of a seat, it won't be here, it will be someplace else. But look, the bottom line is going forward, we got to have a better approach because even with all the effort we put in, it still, here and around the country, still doesn't capture uh, the fullness of everyone who's here. And uh, you know there were immense efforts during the Trump administration to try to warp the process, and that's a danger going forward that that might happen again. So I think we got to rethink the census process for the future.
0: And as Mayor de Blasio, New York a decade ago lost two seats in Congress and its population for more than a generation has been relatively flat compared to other parts of the country. Florida has now surpassed New York as the third largest state in the country behind California and Texas. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. India will receive a first batch of Russia's Sputnik V vaccine against COVID-19 on May 1st. India, in the grips of a second wave of the pandemic, is struggling to tackle surging coronavirus infections that are overwhelming hospitals. And countries like Britain, Germany, and the United States have ple- pledged aid. Today, they were losing, or the state, the nation of India, uh, was facing two major problems: one, a lack of oxygen. And that has led to leaks of oxygen and the deaths of dozens of people with COVID in hospitals. And another uh, morbid uh, problem that the country is facing, it's a limiting, uh, running out of places to cremate the dead. That's the sound of crematoriums in India. And Indian health experts say it's the world's largest producer of vaccines, but it isn't getting enough help from other countries to contain the outbreak.
5: The bigger issue is the the, the lack of diagnosis because uh, there are cases where people are not able to, you know, uh, detect um, the COVID-19 through the regular testing, and you have to go for a uh, for a different mechanism. And also I think the other challenge which is emerging is that it's hitting the, uh, the population of a younger age, which was not the case in the, in the wave one.
0: And the State Department spokesperson, Ned Price, says the United States is committed to help India once its own needs are met.
5: We have always stood in solidarity with our friends and our partners in India. We are working nonstop across the government to do all we can to deliver on an urgent basis the supplies uh, most needed within India. And that includes oxygen assistance and related materials, but it also includes supplies of therapeutics, rapid diagnostic test kits, ventilators, personal protective equipment or PPE, all supplies to protect India's frontline healthcare workers, It includes raw material urgently required for the manufacture of the COVID shield vaccine. And we've also deploying an expert team of public health advisors from the CDC to work in close collaboration with our embassy on the ground, India's health ministries, and India's epidemic intelligence staff. India is enduring a horrific outbreak. We have a global comprehensive strategic partnership with India, but the secretary has been clear. This is not about shots in arms in return for political favors in return for any sort of transactionalism. This is about America's humanitarian leadership, the commitment that this administration has to help those most in need. And of course, uh, what India is enduring now uh, is uh, profoundly concerning uh, on so many levels. And so that's why you see not only the United States stepping up, but other countries in the region and well beyond stepping up to attempt to help and do all we can to help India in its time of need.
0: And that's Ned Price. He's the State Department spokesperson. A World Health Organization epidemiologist, Dr. Maria Van Kerkhoff, says cases of the disease are rising worldwide and moves to reopen countries must be carried out carefully.
3: The trajectory that we are seeing globally is incredibly worrying. With the ninth straight week of increasing incidents around the world, um, clearly it's not being driven um, at the same level of intensity around the world, and we're all looking about how we open up, reopen up societies. Um, these need to be done in a staged way, in a staged approach, where, first and foremost, we get control over this virus. Um, and there are many ways in which we can take back control over the SARS-CoV-2 virus. There are ways in which societies can open up. This also includes travel, but it's about how an individual leaves their home through all of the different stages of travel and looking at first and foremost, does that travel need to happen right now? And in many parts of the world, that answer is no. We are working with our partners in the travel industry, across many of the different hospitality industries as well, to ensure that when this does open up, it can open up as safely as possible. Right now, there's no zero risk, and so it's about measuring that risk and trying to minimize the risk through the whole part of the travel uh, experience.
0: And Dr. Van Karhoff added the victims are different in the most recent outbreaks. They're much younger.
3: We are seeing increased rates of infection across all age groups. Um, Last week, there were 5.2 million cases reported to WHO globally, the largest in a single week since this pandemic began, 16 months into the pandemic. That is the largest increase in a week uh, that we have seen to date. We've seen an increase across all age groups. An age shift, a slight age shift in some countries, driven by social mixing. And social mixing doesn't necessarily mean going out and having a party. It means individuals who have to leave their home to go to work. It means increased transmissibility.
0: And it's uh, World Health Organization epidemiologist Dr. Maria Van Kerkhoff. And closer to home, the Oscars produced uh, – the producers clearly wanted to keep viewers on their toes until the very end last night, switching up the awards order and putting Best Picture not at the very end but prior to Best Actress and finally Best Actor. As the show went on, viewers and reporters speculated that the change in the awards order was building towards a posthumous win for um, – and a potentially a tribute to conclude the ceremony – As the clock ticked towards 11 p.m., the pace of the show started to drag, and Lil Rel Howery, the Oscar music trivia segment, was an unnecessary way to kill time, it said, but it did produce a truly iconic clip of Glenn Close doing Da Butt. Ken Close, a perennial Oscar nominee who has never actually won an Oscar, get one for this performance.
1: All right, you know who I'm going to go to? I'm going to Glenn Close on this one. The icon. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Because you told him he was too He was too young for Donna Summer song. Well, he was. I'm a child. I think I think we got something in. I don't know. Questlove, just play it. Let me see. Here we go. I said, come here, big girl. will you rock my world? So that, that's after me. I Okay, you got some Stop, stop, stop. That's,
2: that's not fair to Glenn
1: Close. You don't know nothing about Tell doing Wait a second. It, wait a
6: second. Wait a second. I know. That's the butt. <laughs> Debut was, wait a second, it was a classic song by the great Washington D.C.
3: Go-Go Band EU. So, yeah, shout outs to Sugar Bear and the whole, the backyard band and the whole DMV.
6: (laughs) So anyway, um, so wait, (laughs) no, I, I remember this. So Spike Lee, um, you know, had
3: it written for his brilliant movie, School Days, and, um, my friends at the Oscars, um, missed it and it wasn't nominated so it couldn't have won which I think is just an effing tragedy
1: Um, I wasn't expecting that at all that you knew the butt Uh, it's it's very it's dope and uncomfortable at the same time that you had on but you know do you know the dance though do you know how to do the butt come on let's see it let me see you do the butt let's see it
0: And that is Glenn Close doing the butt last night. Dave Clennan is an actor and activist who recently wrote several pieces about Hollywood spins the 60s. Hollywood's new blackface, which states, I don't believe Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or Fred Hampton would have been satisfied with the presence of more black faces on movie screens. The display of diversity has very little to do with radical transformation. He writes, it seems that 2020 was the year for Hollywood to trivialize and marginalize the 60s. To American citizens who participated in those struggles, the trial of the Chicago 7 and one night in Miami and Judas and the Black Messiah are an insult and an injury, he said. Uh, he went on to speak with WBAI about how, in particular, the movie about the uh, Black Panthers in Chicago uh, was actually a uh, the wrong way to handle the story.
6: Uh, um the movie screen and what millions of other people saw on the movie screen. Um, and I I take my uh, inspiration, I guess, from uh, Michael Parenti's book, uh, Make Believe Media, uh, where Michael um, talks about how we can be indoctrinated by uh, experiencing something we think of as entertainment. And I felt that the, uh, the movies, the three movies this year that tried to deal with the sixties or pretended to try to deal with the sixties, um, were, uh, misrepresenting, uh, that period and, and misrepresenting the people in that period. So it, uh, I don't think that the the uh, Academy Awards are uh, any a real valid measure of merit in movie making. I think if if they were, two years ago, um, uh, Boots Riley's film. Sorry to bother you would have gotten at least one nomination for in some category from the motion picture Academy. So I think, first of all, the, the Academy is, uh, I don't, uh, I don't attach a lot of validity to the awards process. Um,
0: but this case uh, and this, and this, this award ceremony, they really, the, the Academy seemed to be really pushing the idea that this was, uh, sort of a, a moment this is a a post uh derek Chauvin, george floyd moment where hollywood was going to recognize uh people of color in the highest uh, positions and one of those was um for example uh, uh an asian american woman for best director don't you think that they've made some they they feel they've made advances
6: and are you talking about the Motion Picture Academy or yeah the, the, the Oscars
0: old? the Oscars? I mean that's who they approved last night. They they gave Oscars to a bevy of uh, of people of color at more than ever before. I think the first woman of color to be a um, to win an Oscar for directing isn't that Chloe Zhao? Uh, yeah,
6: you're it's, talking about Chloe Zhao. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that it's important to keep in mind. That um, displays of diversity, which is what we had last night, a display of diversity is not the same thing as structural change um, to to put people on camera on a television screen is not necessarily to empower uh, the what whatever group they, they seem to represent. You know what I mean? Um, you, you, you can put, it, 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 could be seen as window dressing. Does In this case, you,
0: you really think that, that these people from the sort of liberal arts side, enemies of Donald Trump to a large degree, uh, Democrats and some of the more radical, even than that are just out to fool America on behalf of the military industrial complex.
6: Well, I think, uh, don't you think you need to to look beyond the Oscars? I think the Oscars are a charade. There, the uh, the giving of awards, uh, Emmy Awards, and Golden Globes, and Critics' uh, Choice Awards are, I think, are there. There is a, a major subsidiary industry. Of the entertainment industry as a whole, and uh, there's a you know there's there's a lot of money. Um, I I think awards are mostly about marketing, and um, uh, I don't I don't think that I again I I don't think that the that the presence of people of color on camera or the nominations even of people of color. Really represents structural change, I think it's cosmetic. Uh, what are the three does, movies does you specifically make, am I, am I yeah yeah it's,
0: it's it's fine. What I want to ask you about are the movies that you say uh, that you mentioned in your articles, the three movies that you focused on and, and run down what you think the problems of those movies are
6: okay, uh, where would you like to start? Which which movie I'm sorry
0: there's a like? cement truck outside, so I have to turn out off the microphone, so I have to turn it back on to talk to you so I'm going to try and say just start with uh um the uh the the story about Fred Hampton wasn't that what was wrong with that? I think a lot of people love that movie actually I think but you you see something more a little more insidious or problematic there
6: right i I think it 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 starts with the portrayal of Fred Hampton. And I I think there are two things happening at the same time. The, The filmmakers are suggesting that they have reverence for Fred Hampton. They respect Fred Hampton and what he stood for. But imagine that you're a viewer that is not as politically sophisticated as you are and how how are you going to react my feeling is that in our gut we don't see fred hampton we don't we're we're not seeing a human being that we can respond to positively my feeling is that they hired a british actor to portray a very american character and that British actor failed to bring the warmth and the empathy and the charisma and appeal of the real Fred Hampton. So that what, what I was seeing on screen was a pompous, authoritarian, rather cold and calculating political manipulator that I I didn't like. I didn't identify with him. I didn't want to be part of his struggle. And I, I don't I, I don't think that my reaction is, is that far out. I think that Daniel Kaluuya has a screen presence that is worthwhile in certain films. I thought he was fine in, in Get Out. I don't think that he was an appealing, a worthy, an admirable portrayal of the real Fred Hampton. Look at his first speech. He comes on stage. Young people are very happy that a new a high school or, or an older high school has been renamed for Malcolm X. And he comes on and he starts scolding people for, for their enthusiasm over that event. And I didn't feel that Daniel Kaluuya portrayed the kind of political leader who would be effective
0: As what you're saying is that's just not a bad decision in your subjectively your opinion that they should have had some other actor do that and he didn't click with you. Or is this something that you're saying is sort of set up by the system to misinform people?
6: Part of the problem is that there's so little transparency in the industry. How do you feel about the fact that in the last six years, Heroic figures from American history, Martin Luther King, Harriet Tubman, Fred Hampton, and Malcolm X have all been portrayed by actors from the United Kingdom. Four for four, four out of four. And the actor who portrayed Muhammad Ali in One Night in Miami is from Canada. What's going on there? I'm suspicious, but I don't want to be paranoid. Why in five out of five cases did the entertainment industry end up using foreign actors, actors from the British empire to portray characters who are essentially American. Fred Hampton from the west side of Chicago Maybe a mile from the old Midway Airport.
0: They don't want to create a black, a true black Messiah of sorts, in the Hollywood world to actually induct into our royalty, America's closest thing to royalty, Hollywood, to induct a potential black Messiah.
6: How do you feel about the term black Messiah? What? Why do you think that they chose? That term, isn't it a kind of s- weird way of describing Fred Hampton as a black messiah? First of all, I mean, w- w-
0: w- well, that's when what the when FBI call- called him, right? I mean, it uh, goes so oh, goes story okay.
6: that it was Jager Hoover. Exactly. Who David said not Kirk, him in particular, exactly. but said. Right. In the movie. And let's say maybe in this case, the movie was factually correct. What we see in the movie is J. Edgar Hoover, he's not talking specifically about Fred Hampton. He's saying that he is concerned that a black messiah will rise from the ranks of black activists and unite the anti-war movement, the civil rights movement, the movement for
0: What's wrong with using that term in the title of this movie?
6: It's a weird term. And J. Edgar Hoover didn't use that term in a friendly or respectful way, do you think?
0: So it's the association of that term with someone of the stature of Fred Hampton.
6: It's a very strange way to describe someone. Why do you adopt... The terminology of a fascist like J Edgar Hoover, why why do you call your hero the name that was given to him by J. Edgar Hoover, whom you present as a villain in one night in Miami, is from Canada. what's going on there I'm suspicious, but I don't want to be paranoid. Why, in five out of five cases did the entertainment industry? End up using foreign actors, actors from the British Empire, to portray characters who are essentially American. Fred Hampton from the west side of Chicago. Maybe a mile from the old Midway Airport. And David Clennon is an actor and activist whose
0: article "Hollywood's New Blackface" is on Counterpunch.org. It was fascinating. I really suggest you go and read the uh, the article. The final award of the evening, which had uh, therefore herefore been Best Picture, was changed to Best Actor. Very bizarre. When. Um, Uh, It was given to uh, Anthony Hopkins, a man playing uh, somebody ailing from dementia in The Father, anticlimactic, 83 years old. He wasn't even there to give the speech. While um, the uh, Ma uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom uh, missed out, a a great movie who people loved and had a tremendous uh, following. It it still has everybody uh, scratching their head and wondering what happened there. (laughs) And that's some of the news for Monday, April 26, 2021. The news produced by Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.
2: Stay tuned for Spin coming up. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org Online.